for downloading Life Solved, the research podcast from the University of Portsmouth. In this series, we're exploring how breakthroughs here are changing our world today and in the future. This time, we're exploring the world of missing persons. What are the myths presented to us on our TV screens and in the cinema? And what is the human impact for families affected? It's not an area that gets the attention it deserves, especially as it affects more people in the UK and worldwide than you might think. Today, we meet Professor Karen Shalov-Green. I just felt drawn into this world, and the more I explored it, the more I understood how under-researched it really is, and also how it is relevant to all of us. There's not a single person that can say, I will never experience this. I will never know what it's like for a loved one to go missing or possibly even for ourselves to go missing. Karen works at the University of Portsmouth in the School of Criminology and Criminal Justice, leads the Missing Person Research Group and dedicates a lot of her time to applied research that has a positive impact on services to missing persons and their families. And as we'll find out in this episode, she is passionate about sharing advice and resources with members of the public who might, one day, sadly be affected by a missing persons case. So how did the Missing Persons Research Group come about? The first people that I talked to were in the charity Missing People. And the CEO at the time was at a conference that I went to, and he lives not too far from me, so I offered him a lift. And so we were three hours in the car, and he just said, you know, we really want a center of excellence that will focus on this because there's nothing. And would you be interested? And I didn't even know what I was saying yes to. And that was it. And the university was very accommodating and very supportive, actually. And within six weeks, I had a website, which was basically me and the website. And it kind of grew from there. But because there was really such a vacuum in research activity, and I remember I asked one of the leading officers to give me a list of some ideas that they would like research, something they would prioritize so I can do something that's useful to them. They gave me a list two weeks later, and honestly, it would take me about 30 years to go down that list. I then went back and said, okay, two or three ideas. And we worked from there, and then it just grew. So at the moment, we have a group of very, very capable and varied members of staff that now expand that kind of research and take on really fascinating stuff and kind of explore it. And whilst the investment in research and support in the field of missing people is growing, it's actually a little difficult to actually define the term missing person, as Karen explains. The problem is that there is no universal definition. There is no UN definition, for example, which we'd like to see changed. But in the UK, it's anyone whose whereabouts are not known. And there is some concern that we feel at that lack of knowledge. So you might not know at this exact moment where your children are, where your partner is, but that doesn't mean that they're missing. It's when you start to worry about not knowing where they are that you will contemplate them as missing. So it's that combination of not knowing, also something is unusual, and there's a potential risk. And that can be 
because you can't see them. So if a young child, three-year-old, you can't see them, it's immediately a risk-provoking situation, right? Yeah. The same thing with an elderly person, for example, if they have dementia. But there's a wide variety of different reasons along that continuum of ages and circumstances. But it is relating to that sense of they're vulnerable, there's a risk, something is wrong here. We're all familiar with TV shows and films that suggest a period of time should pass, say 24 hours, before an official search for a missing person is conducted. But Karen says it isn't and shouldn't be that case in the real world. I think it's one of those myths that exist that we'd really like the public to be aware of, that if you cannot identify their whereabouts, you are concerned, call the police. Don't delay that because what it means is by the time police services mobilise, it will take a little bit of time, that person is already off and it makes finding them more difficult. You might lose some really important forensic evidence. For example, you might lose the trail. So definitely don't wait. At the same time, normally what we would do is for a teenager or an adult, you'd call, right? You'd make some phone calls, you make inquiries. So time does pass. But then when you contact the police, you would say, look, I've searched here and there. I just can't find them. There's a reason why I'm concerned. So there's a little bit of depending on the circumstances here, but generally there isn't a rule of you have to wait this amount of time. For those who are missing and the loved ones affected, the experience is of course a unique personal one. But the statistics tell a story as well, with some numbers that might surprise you. About 150,000 people go missing each year or are reported missing to the police, I would say. In reality, it would be many, many more. It is definitely an underestimate. I played with some numbers from different countries and came to an overall assessment that, again, is an absolute underestimate of about 8 to 10 million people going missing worldwide each year. Think about the entire population of New York disappearing in one year or in London. Everybody just vanishes. And that's how common this is. Now, the other thing that I think people don't understand is that, of course, this affects a lot of people. So there was a study that said, on average, one missing person affects directly 12 people. 90, 100 million people are affected by this every year, and we don't talk about it. One of the issues is that the media portrays there's a bias we see in television, we see in news, we see in film, it's all around us. You see plots of people going missing all the time, but it's normally in relation to cases of abduction, child abduction, homicide. And those are possibly 2% of the real cases. So it's absolutely skews public perception of what it means to go missing. And therefore, there isn't a public appetite and pressure of allocating the resources to the real cases that are much more common. And so it's not well understood, it's not well researched, it's not well supported. Families often find themselves very isolated with people around them and communities around them not understanding their needs. And it's a very, very specific need that is unique. It's nothing like anything else that we experience. It might be some comfort that most people who go missing return safely in a relatively short period of time. But unfortunately, the story rarely stops there. 
most people return within 48 hours, really the vast majority. And people then go, okay, that happened, now what? So you can have people that go missing repeatedly and then the family are in that scenarios again and again and again. But sometimes it's also about getting the right support so that the person doesn't go missing again. And that's where we fail. There is also the possibility of a person going missing whilst abroad. And Karen explains how the response and processes can vary from country to country. As for missing abroad, I think one of the misconceptions that we have is you think kind of the SAS will come to your help, right? If you're on a holiday and something happens, or if your loved one has gone for business or travel or whatever, that's not the case at all. The UK law enforcement agencies have absolutely no control in another jurisdiction. They can collaborate, but that would be at the invitation of the other country. And so you might deal with completely different systems, different cultures, different laws, and in all truth, you're on your own. However, charities are able to join the dots across Europe and at the very least connect different countries and different processes with the aim of returning the missing person back safely. There is an umbrella charity that works with hotlines across Europe of missing children, Missing Children Europe. And that's given me really a wonderful overview of the different cultures and the varieties of responses and needs in different countries. And I think that that's part of the beauty of working in this field is seeing, yes, there's such a variety of needs and of cultures and of patterns, but the core of it it comes back to us being human and the needs are the same, really. So that's been the best, I think, lesson for me, uh, just from a life perspective, you know, just as an understanding of what we need to do. It's first of all, is at the core of us being human. And it's the spirit of different departments and regions working together that's key at the Missing Persons Research Group. That's kind of how we work, is that it's a collaboration always between the different organizations that come into contact with missing people, be it NGOs, be it law enforcement, be it social services, local authorities, and so on, and say what the gaps that you see, what will be useful to you, and then we'll try to create something. And sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's our ideas, and we go to them and say, would you be interested in collaborating with us? Looking to the future, Karen is part of a new project called The Information Hub, a project driven by some very personal stories. Valerie Nettles particularly was one of the leading forces as well because her son Damien went missing years ago and still has not been found. And she has been a real advocate for the needs of families, for support, for information. And think about yourself, you know, nobody wakes up thinking, oh, my loved one is going to go missing. And if you're not familiar with the services that are provided, how would you know where to find them? And in the midst of all that horror, really, that all of a sudden you're exposed to and dealing with authorities and just the shock of it, to then try and work out who does what is very difficult. So she really wanted to have that kind of resource, one-stop place for families in particular to be able to find information quickly, to make it more accessible. 
the website as it stands now offers insight into what services exist, some of the misconceptions that might exist that we want the public to understand, academics, agencies that work in the field. So just a little bit of accessible information that anyone can can see. One of the areas of missing persons that Karen is particularly focusing on at the moment is the level to which racial disparities play. We've seen consistently that there's disproportionality in the number of particularly black people that go missing. So in the general population, they represent about 3% of the population. In the missing population, they represent about 14%. So journalists a few years ago started to call me and just ask questions about it. And at the time I was like, I don't know when is it really my place to then answer that because that's a social issue rather than a policing issue. But it kept coming back and I was very curious by that. And so we started to explore that a bit more. And the second question that came alongside that is, is there really racism within missing person investigations? And that came up from a report that missing people recently published talking to families from different ethnic backgrounds who said they feel that they were definitely racially profiled, as it were, whilst making a missing persons report and that the investigations were not as efficient as they should have been. And so that certainly brought up those two questions in mind. And that's at the moment we're working on that. Karen feels so passionately about her subject that she has teamed up with Caroline Humer, a US-based child protection expert, to create a podcast called Missing Persons Uncovered. She explained a little more. What we wanted to do is to create episodes that talk about the topic more generally. Other podcasts exist more like detective stories that they look at cases And they're absolutely vital because they raise the profile of specific cases that are still open. So this is not in competition or to say we're doing something better, we're just doing something different. And we wanted to, again, reach the public, reach people that won't know anything about missing people and to start little by little focus on different topics. So just to give an overview to start with, then about who goes missing generally, how do you end up missing, about the process of reporting people missing, the process of investigation. One of the earliest lessons I've learned from a police officer was, he said, you know, a missing person investigation is unlike anything that officers work on. It's not like any other investigation. And I said, why not? And he goes, well, if you think about it, when does a crime You work out quite quickly what happened. But what you need to do is to find out who's done it, right? The who. And then you need to prove it. Whereas a missing person is the other way around. You need to work out very quickly who's gone missing, their life story. And then you work out what happened. So it's a completely different way of approaching it. And it brings up some ethical questions and it's quite a complicated process. So each episode looks at different elements be it the impact on families, being such a rescue and so on. So it's different topics every other week. If you'd like to hear the Missing Persons Uncovered podcast, you can search for episodes on all the major podcast platforms or visit missingpersonsuncovered.com. As research continues to face the challenges and misconceptions that exist around missing persons, 
It's Karen's hope that the field can develop to ensure that both those missing and their friends and family are given ever-increasing support and guidance. Thanks for joining us for Life Solved. If you want to find out more about research at the University of Portsmouth, go to the website port.ac.uk forward slash research. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode. Catch you then.